Please take your Bible and be opening it to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28. Uh, The statement you see on the screen is so true. We don't like to think about it, but it's an important topic that birth and death are equally part of life. When we're young, we focus on birth and death. Whenever it comes to our lives as teenagers and young adults seems to be an intrusion. And then the years pass and we grow older, becoming more aware of death and losing loved ones and thinking about our own mortality and birth is a nice distraction. Death is in the news every day. Just think about the last few days. This Friday, a police officer in Greenville, South Carolina, chasing a gang member, was killed, leaving behind two young sons and a pregnant wife. Yesterday, a plane flying from Dubai to Russia crashed, trying to land in bad weather, killing all 62 people on board. Yesterday in Istanbul, Turkey, a terrorist set off a bomb, killing himself and others, including two Americans, injuring 36 people in one of the busiest shopping places in Istanbul, some of those now in critical condition. Death makes us cry, and a birth makes us smile. And as a pastor... I've been there when children are born, not only my own, but when others have been born. And I've seen the, the absolute joy that young couples feel when they, when they hold that child for the first time. I have grandparents. I have one sitting back over here this morning. Whip out his phone, his smartphone, and show me a photograph of that grandbaby. I mean, that's, that's what we do. And, and, and the birth of a child just brings so many beautiful, wonderful, loving uh, emotions to us. As a pastor, I've stood by the bedside in a home or a hospital when someone took their last breath here and passed on into glory. I've stood with a family as they held the hand of their loved one for the last time. I've stood by families when they said their goodbye at the casket, whether it was at the cemetery or a funeral home. I've been there when someone had to be told that a loved one had died unexpectedly in a car wreck or from a heart attack. This past week, I've preached three funerals. Only one of those was expected. And honestly, I'm tired of death. One of my favorite images in the Bible is found in Matthew 28, verse 2. Would you look at it with me? Matthew 28, verse 2. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. Jesus had been buried in that tomb for three days with the stone rolled against it. And I love this image of an angel coming down from heaven and not only rolling the stone from the entrance to the tomb, But after he'd done it with just a sense of satisfaction, and I can imagine with a big smile on his face, he just sat on it. 
He just sat on that big rock. He just sat down on that stone. I love that image and all that it communicates. Angels had been part of the life and ministry of Jesus from the very beginning. That photograph hangs in my office, that painting rather, because I like to pray looking at that and just thinking about the ministering angels. It was the angel Gabriel who appeared to Mary telling her that she had found favor with God and would give birth to the Messiah. It was an angel that appeared to Joseph when he was perplexed by his fiancée's pregnancy, explaining that it was God's child and he should go ahead and take her as his wife. It was angels who appeared in the midnight sky over Bethlehem singing praises to God, telling the shepherds that in the city near them, the Savior had been born. It was an angel who came to Joseph telling him to take the baby Jesus to Egypt, protecting him from King Herod, who would have all the young boys in the city of Nazareth under the age of two murdered. And it was an angel who again appeared to Joseph in Egypt after Herod had died, telling him it was now time to bring Jesus back to Israel. After Jesus was baptized, 30 years following his birth and began his public ministry, the first thing he did was go into the wilderness and spend 40 days alone, fasting, praying, preparing for the journey that was in front of him, And during those 40 days, he was tempted on three occasions by the devil, resisted, and remained pure and holy. And at the end of that 40 days of temptation and 40 days of fasting, the Bible tells us that angels came to Jesus and they ministered to him. Three years later, on the evening before his crucifixion, after just before Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, he, he, he knelt and prayed because he knew everything that was going to happen to him. He knew the physical suffering he would endure. He knew the emotional rejection he would experience. He knew that on the cross he would become sin and be separated from the Father. He knew the agony that lay just a few short hours in front of him and prayed in that garden if it was possible for, for, for the cross to pass, for this cup to pass. But nonetheless, if it was the only way for men to be saved, God's will be done. And the Bible says that his sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. And when he had finished praying, we're told that an angel came to Jesus in that garden and strengthened him. Following his resurrection, when he gathered his followers outside Jerusalem to ascend back to the throne of glory, they stood there in a group, gazing, the Bible says, intently, just just looking and not moving, not blinking, just staring into the sky as Jesus had vanished from sight. And suddenly there were two angels with them saying, what are y'all looking at? (laughs) This same Jesus will come again in the same way you just saw him leave. The Bible tells us when Jesus someday in the future comes back to this earth as the reigning king of kings and lord of lords at the second coming, he will be accompanied by angels. In Matthew 25, 31, the Bible says, and look, look at it on the screen, when the Son of Man, this is Jesus speaking, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all, 
the angels with him. I love that. It's not going to be one or two or just a small group. Myriads of myriads. All his angels are going to come with him on that day. All the angels with him. Then he will sit on his glorious throne. 1 Thessalonians 4, 16. Look at this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. When the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven with his what kind of angels? All of his angels, all of his mighty angels in flaming fire, the picture of judgment. Dealing out retribution to those who know, who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me, brothers and sisters. When Jesus comes back, it will not be the same experience for everyone. Some will be given life, everlasting life in heaven. Some will receive the blessings of God and, and stand with Jesus and share in the, the glory of Christ on that glorious day. But those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ on that day from the mighty angels of God will know the retribution of God for their sin and refusal to accept the forgiveness that is found only in Christ Jesus our Lord. So from the beginning until that day in the future, angels are part of the life and ministry of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What about today? Jesus is in heaven at the right hand of the Father. What are the angels doing? Revelation chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, we're told, and this is John speaking, I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, unable to, to count them. Same with a loud voice. Worthy. Worthy is whom? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Who's the Lamb that was slain? Jesus who died on the cross. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might, honor, glory, and blessing. What are the angels doing today? They're worshiping King Jesus. They're worshiping Lord Jesus. They're worshiping our Savior, Jesus Christ. Angels are always with Christ. But there was one moment in his time when there were no angels. One moment in his journey when he stood alone and that was the cross. When the soldiers were beating Jesus with a whip within an inch of his life, no angel. After being beaten and broken as he carried that heavy piece of wood through the streets of Jerusalem to Calvary, no angel. When they held his body on the ground and drove the nails through his wrists and feet, no angels. When he hung between heaven and earth on that cross, no angels. When the sword was thrust into his side, no angels. When his lifeless body was taken down from that cross and placed in a borrowed tomb, no angels. As Jesus hung on that cross and for three hours the sky turned black. And at the end of it, Jesus cried out, 
my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No angels. For in those moments, your sin, my sin, the sin of all humanity was placed on Christ. And as the Bible says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, paying the penalty for our sin. No angels. Angels could have come from heaven that day in Jerusalem and rescued them. But they didn't. Jesus tells us in the Gospels that he could have called them thousands upon thousands to rescue him from those who were crucifying him. But he didn't call on them. He suffered on that cross. A painful death. A humiliating death. And he suffered alone. For us, for me, and for you. After the sin of Adam and Eve in the beginning, mankind has buried our loved ones. We've stood at the graves of family members and friends feeling powerless and helpless. And Jesus understands. He experienced death. He experienced that grief. He experienced great loss. And the Bible says our high priest Jesus Christ is touched, is moved by our infirmities, by our weaknesses, by our fears, by our struggles. He gets it. He gets it. When Jesus died... His body was placed in a borrowed tomb that had not been used before. And the Bible says a huge stone was rolled against the entrance. Because the Jewish religious leaders knew Jesus had said that in three days he would rise from the dead. They were afraid disciples would come and steal his body and make a false claim. So they had the Roman authorities, they had heard post-Roman soldiers to guard the tomb to keep that very thing from happening. And not only did Roman soldiers guard the tomb of Jesus, they sealed it which means they poured hot wax and put the stamp of the Roman authority over it. And anyone who broke that seal would be punished with, with, with immediate death. It was a criminal offense. And after all of that, with Jesus' lifeless body inside, Easter came. Sunday came. Resurrection Day came. And everything changed because it did. Early that Sunday morning before daybreak, some women made their way to the tomb. The Bible describes what happened in chapter 28 of Matthew. Would you read with me beginning at verse 1? Now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, that would be Sunday, Mary Magdalene and other 
and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred. So while they were on the way, before they got there, there was an earthquake. And an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat on it. Again, I love that image. And his appearance was like lightning. <clears throat> and his clothing as white as snow. The, 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 the brilliance of, of a bright white light is the symbol of purity and holiness and glory. And in verse 4, the guards shook for fear of him, fear of the angel, and became like dead men. And I don't know, we're not told, you know, I don't know if they saw Jesus or not, but whether they saw him, they definitely saw the angel and it scared them to the point they just passed out. And when the women arrived in verse 5, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. Why, why did the angel roll the stone away? It was not so Jesus could get out. <laughs> he, he could have moved it himself just by speaking. In fact, he could have just walked right through it as he later did following the resurrection, walked through a door and through a wall to appear to his disciples who were locked inside and hiding. The angel didn't roll it away so Jesus could get out. He rolled it away so the women and disciples could get in. <laughs> so they, they could see where he had been but was no longer there. He rolled it away so we could know the tomb is empty. It wasn't for Jesus. It was for our sake the angel rolled the stone away. But I want to ask you another question. Why did the angel sit on the stone after he rolled it away? Because that image just fascinates me. I mean, he, he comes down from heaven... Jesus is already alive, and, and he, he rolls the stone to the side so people can get in and see that Jesus is alive and he's not there. And then, then he just sits on it and waits. I mean, that image, sitting on that stone. Let me suggest a couple of reasons I believe he sat on the stone and waited. One, I think he did that as a beautiful powerful way of, of, of demonstrating for everyone that Jesus had fully paid the penalty for our sin. You see, when someone commits a crime and they're convicted of it in a court of law, they're, they're put in jail, they're put in prison, and, and the judge says you're sentenced to 10 years, you're sentenced to 20 years, whatever your sentence is, and you're put in jail, and, and, and the doors are closed, and, and, and the cell is locked, and you've got to serve your time, pay the full penalty for your crime. And if you escape as a prisoner before serving the full sentence, they capture you, they put you back in and add time to your sentence. But once you as a prisoner serve your full sentence, an authority, 
a representative of the government, a prison official, unlocks the door, opens the cell, and you walk out free, legally free, because you've paid what? You've paid for the crime. You've paid your penalty. Now, when Jesus died on that cross and was locked in the prison of that tomb, it was not because of any crime he had committed. It was not for a sin that he was guilty of having committed. It was for my crimes and your crimes. For my sin and your sin, for humanity's sin, Jesus climbed onto that cross and allowed his lifeless body to be locked in the cell of that tomb to pay the penalty, not for anything he had done, but pay the penalty for our crimes, for our sins against God, our sins against humanity. And the debt was paid. The sentence was carried out. And it was paid in full. And to demonstrate to everyone that the justice of God and the justice of heaven, that the the righteousness demand of a a righteous God, the righteousness demanded of, of, of God's justice had been completely satisfied and thus a representative of glory came down and unlocked the sail, rolled the stone away and said, you're free? Jesus did not escape. He walked out after having paid in full the penalty for your sin and my sin. And brothers and sisters, if you think there's something you can do to pay for your sin that will get you to heaven, you're wrong. The only one who can pay the penalty for your sin is Jesus Christ. And that's why you must cry out in mercy asking him to forgive you, asking him to save you, asking him to rescue you because he paid the penalty and you can't do it. But I want to suggest there's another reason the angel rolled the stone away and sat on it. It's because Jesus' enemies have been completely defeated. At Calvary, Satan thought he won. In that tomb, death seemed to be Jesus' master. Human authority stood guard at the entrance and sealed it with evidence of their authority and power. And yet heaven's angel broke that government seal and scared those guards to death. Heaven's lamb overcame death and the grave. And Jesus, Lord and God, condemned Satan to an eternity in hell. And thus the Bible proclaims in 1 Corinthians 15, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through whom? Our Lord Jesus Christ. Not through my efforts, not through your efforts, but through the crucified, buried, and resurrected Jesus Christ. And thus the angel said to the women 2,000 years ago and to you and me today, And Matthew 28, verses 5 and 6, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. 
For I know you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here. For he is risen. We who are followers of Christ grieve when we stand at those graves. But not like those who have no hope. For we are filled with hope. We are people of hope. Do not fear death. Do not fear the grave. Do not fear what's on the other side. Because the Jesus you worship, love, and serve has conquered all of it. And it is well with your soul and well with your life when you know him. Do not be afraid. The angel said to the women, I know you look for Jesus who has been crucified. But he's not here. He's risen. We don't pray to a buried Savior. We don't live for a dead Christ. He's alive and he's alive forevermore. And brothers and sisters, if those women on that early dark morning could be loyal to a crucified Jesus, you and I can be loyal to a resurrected Jesus. He is your Lord, he is God, and he is king, not only of your life, but of the universe and all time. Stand up and declare your allegiance and say, I will be loyal, I am loyal, and I'll never deny my Jesus. He is my God, he has overcome, and because of him, I win. And today I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to renew your pledge of loyalty to Jesus. Because we go through life with its ups and downs. We have those moments when we walk close and those times when we struggle. Let today be a day when you renew your loyalty to Jesus being king of your life. Let today be the day you confess to God that you have been afraid and Accept his forgiveness and ask him to fill you with a holy boldness instead. For some of you who've never committed your lives to Jesus Christ, you're lost and you're not ready for the grave. You're not ready for death. Let today be the day you prepare for your death. Because the Bible says it's appointed to men once to die and after this the judgment. You will see the angels one day around the throne of God when you stand there in judgment. Let this be the day you prepare for that day by committing your life to Jesus Christ and receiving him as your Savior and as your Lord. Let this be the time in a, that, that as we observe the Lord's Supper in a few moments... Let, this, let, let these next few moments be, be the, the time you confess your sin and prepare to hold that cup in a worthy manner. Because as a follower of Christ, you have looked in your heart and looked in your soul and acknowledged your sin and recommitted yourself to Him. Let this day be the day that you draw closer. Don't, don't let this be a day you walk out of this room the same way you came in. Let it be a day you walk out of this room different just like Jesus walked out of that tomb on Easter with that glorified and spiritual and resurrected body. Let this be the day you move forward in your walk with Christ. Let this be a day of spiritual victory. Let this be a day of growth. Let this be a day of transformation. Let this be a new and glorious day in your life. Don't stay where you are, but take a step forward in faith. So would you stand with me? 
And we're going to sing a hymn of invitation. I'm inviting you right now to let this be the moment, the very moment you do business with God as pastors and counselors gather here at the front to come and get on your knees and confess your sin, to declare anew your loyalty to Jesus Christ, to join this church, to come and say to one of the pastors, one of the counselors, right now I am committing my life to Jesus Christ and asking him to forgive me and save me. When I say amen after this prayer, we will sing, and I'm inviting you to come. Father in heaven, your Holy Spirit has been speaking to our hearts. And right now, Jesus, I ask that you give boldness to every man and woman and teenager in this room who needs to step out and make a decision for you. Give them victory over everything that holds them back right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.